the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are not citizens of this world in the sense that we would think. We are citizens of a heavenly homeland. And we became legalized citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. And we put our hands around that cross and we embraced it as our right to eternity. We became members of another kind of country. And as citizens of that heavenly kingdom, we are patriotic to that homeland as a Christian. And, you know, a good practice for us today would be to say this. You know, I am a Christian. How many of you are a Christian? I'm a Christian, and I'm glad to be a Christian. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Mike is entitled, The Gospel of God. That's the gospel of God, and we'll bring you the first portion today. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm grateful today for the Son of God. I'm grateful for Jesus who gave himself for me and gave himself for us all. And Lord, not just give us the mind of Christ, give us the life of Christ in this place. And Lord, may this holy desk that I stand behind today always be a place where men and women can find Jesus in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many of you have been following the NFL thing? A little bit? I mean, isn't that dividing our country pretty heavily? Amazing. I'm not going to ask you which side you're on. That's not my purpose here. I just want to kind of go through it with you. The NFL has entered a cultural war about what it means to be patriotic in a way, correct? President Trump has tweeted out his opinion And others have tweeted their ideas right back, and it is so divisive. Some sponsors have canceled their support of the NFL, and others have kept on supporting it. So I don't know where you're at. Don't shout it out in church. Your politics is for places other than church. But I have noticed that ever since I was a child, football players would stand tall on the field and put their right hand on their chest and listen to the national anthem, and then they would get teary-eyed as they looked up and they saw the flag waving, and that was part of American culture. For some reason, something has changed in this country. Lately, it has. So I asked the question, what does it mean to be patriotic? You know, for some football players, it means to kneel down and not put your hand on your chest at all, because they're trying to say something when they do that. For others, it just means to stand tall, to put your hand on your chest, and to do the thing that we've always done. Now, I found it odd that a Christian college in Colorado outlawed kneeling for the national anthem. Now, I can understand maybe what they're thinking about, be patriotic, but a Christian college outlawed kneeling for the national anthem. I mean, that's how upside down this issue is in our culture. Standing, it seems, is more Christian than kneeling in their case. The Patriot quarterback, how many of you follow football here pretty heavily? I 
I do not. I'm not a football fan. So who's the Patriot quarterback? Tom Brady. It shows you. I know nothing about football. Scuba diving, mountain climbing, not football, okay? Well, Tom Brady has a compromise in mind for team players. Here it is. He will kneel with his players and then they will stand. So you can kneel and stand if you're a patriot. That's how blurry it is in our culture. I think the whole thing is playing itself out quite badly. And the players are real losers here in the game of posturing for politics. And it seems the country's losing too. Friend, in the Bible, we belong to a homeland and to a people that are not of this world. Am I correct? And the book of Galatians teaches us plainly that we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. We are not citizens of this world in the sense that we would think. We are citizens of a heavenly homeland. And we became legalized citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. And we put our hands around that cross and we embraced it as our right to eternity. We became members of another kind of country. And as citizens of that heavenly kingdom, we are patriotic to that homeland as a Christian. And, you know, a good practice for us today would be to say this. You know, I am a Christian. How many of you are a Christian? I'm a Christian, and I'm glad to be a Christian. We are living in a time when people are ashamed of the cross of Christ, when Christians are afraid to live for Christ without compromise, when it is in their DNA to pull back and say, well, I cannot witness to the Lord publicly, or I'll offend someone. Friend, if you cannot witness for the Lord publicly, you're ashamed of the Lord publicly. We are Christians. We bear witness to the truth by what we say. And I say today that I stand here as a Christian in need of Christ as a sinner, but I am part of a homeland, patriotic to the cause of Christ. When Christ came into this world, he came with a message from God, the king of the universe, the king of that heavenly homeland that we belong to by faith in Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And we find the beginning of the gospel of Mark. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Mark's gospel is unique in this way. It's the only gospel that starts the way you just read it there. The gospel of Mark starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few verses down, we discover that the gospel of Jesus in Jesus' mind is more than the gospel about himself. It comes from God before it comes from Jesus or is about Jesus. Look at verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. What does it say? Preaching what kind of gospel? The gospel of God. So he starts by saying it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you get to verse 14, he says, you know what? This gospel is the gospel of God. So when we are saved as Christians, we come into a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus. We aren't saved by any kind of gospel. It's Christ's gospel. But Christ, who is the Lord of our lives, the Lord of the church, says, that gospel didn't start with me. It is the gospel of God. The King James Version reads the gospel of the kingdom of God. But when you look at the oldest Greek manuscripts here, that is not an accurate reading. It is really quite right in the modern translations. The gospel of God. Now we also know it's the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24 says that. But that is not Mark's point. It is the gospel that comes from God, that is of God, that is about God, that is God's good news that saves us. It originates in the heart of a loving God and it finds us in our world where we need that gospel the most. Friend, if you come to religion in your life and you're not drawn to God by the good news, because that's what the word gospel means, 
If you're not drawn to God by the good news, if it does not change who you are, if it does not change your status from an unbeliever to a believer, from a hard-hearted person to a soft-hearted, kind person who cares for others, then your religion is bankrupt. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that this good news of the gospel is not some static presence in our lives. It has compelling power to transform the life and to change the heart. And so he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. It is the power of God for salvation to how many people? What does it say? To everyone who has faith. You know, we often want to say, well, you know, religion is for those who are really good at religion. No, uh-uh. The gospel's for everyone who has faith. And what does it result in? To the Jew first and also the Greek. And then he says in the context that follows, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The one who is righteous by faith will live. You know, we cannot live, we cannot move forward in time without God's gospel in our lives. It is the power of God to change lives. So we are saved by the gospel. So how can good news save someone? Well, it can save someone because God's good news contains the explosive energy of God's creative power to reconcile us to God to bring God's forgiveness into our lives, and then to transform the life so we'll be ready for eternity. In Acts 20, 24, Paul calls this gospel the gospel of the grace of God. Friends, God's gospel is a message of grace. It comes from a heart of grace, and it saves us from our sins and from the power of sin in our lives. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were not gracious to someone else? You have. You ever struggle with that? You know, you're gracious one minute, maybe not as much another. Have you ever had a time when you were knocked down flat on your face? Or you are struggling with energy loss? And you need to know that someone was going to be kind to you that day. Anybody here? We've all been there. Well, guess what? That's the universal human predicament. We need God's grace. We need grace from each other. And so the good news is not just good news about, you know, our belief system, this kind of thing. God's good news is the gospel of the grace of God in Acts 20 verse 4. It is a message of grace that saves us. The heart of God is full of kindness and graciousness for sinners. Now, Peter and Paul didn't always get along. In fact, when you look in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul rebuked Peter because he was not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And he said, Peter, you know, you wouldn't eat with those Gentiles. You were racist. And the gospel does not allow for racism. There is a big tent in the heart of God. And because you didn't do that right, you bore witness to something other than the truth. And he rebuked him to his face. And the reason why he gives this in the letter of Galatians is to demonstrate that even though he's not one of the twelve, he has apostolic authority in this sense that is greater than Peter because he's right. And so Paul is rebuking Peter. Now Paul uses the term the gospel of God that we find in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Romans 5.16, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 2.89 that we saw right there in Mark Chapter 1, verse 14. He uses that term. He calls it the gospel of God. But after Peter was rebuked, as Peter writes his epistle in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, Peter also calls it the gospel of God. They may have differed on some minor points and had some growing to do, but they agreed that the gospel is the gospel of God. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul spruces it up a little bit and calls this gospel of God the glorious gospel of the blessed God. 
So no matter how you cut it between Peter and Paul, the gospel that has power to save us is the gospel of God. Now I leave that statement embedded here in my language to press home the point that it is not a human gospel. It is not good news that we come up with in our church. It's not something that smart people engineer. It comes from God, it's about God, and it's for us, but it's God's gospel. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. The book of Romans begins with this proclamation of the gospel of God. Turn to Romans 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, and then it says, set apart for the, and how does the text read? The gospel of God. There it is, the exact same expression we saw in Mark 1, verse 14. Paul's letter to the Romans begins with Paul's name at the very beginning of the letter. So when you look at the book of Romans, the very first word is the word Paul. In Greek, it is the word polos. And that's the name he received in his life journey after he became a Christian, not before he became a Christian. Saul was the name he was born with. Now, why is Saul such an important name? Saul was the name for the first king of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Paul came from. And so it was logical to name him after the big guy from Benjamin. So Saul had a prominent name in his tribe. And Saul, utilizing this proud name, must have been a little proud as a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He had all the Jewish credentials that people would want to have. Saul in the Old Testament had a pride problem, and God could not humble him up. He couldn't teach him anything, and so finally he had to reject him and remove him as king. But Saul, the apostle who would become the apostle, was humble enough that God could work with him. He started out like Saul, but he ended up like Paul. And so God humbled Saul. He saw the stoning of Stephen. It must have made an impression on him, but yet he was still persecuting Christians as he was going to Damascus to arrest Christians and drag them into prison, Jesus Christ appeared as the light of the world. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, as the book of Isaiah said, he appeared on the very place which leads to Damascus, and he knocked Saul off his course, and the people who live in darkness, that is Paul, saw a great light. And so Saul cried out to the light, Who are you, Lord? That's a good question to ask. And the light answered him back. The light said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul was a proud Pharisee who was proud about his religion, proud about being right all the time, and proud that he could arrest those Christians because of their religion and how wrong they were. You see, for Paul, religion was about proving something. It was about demonstrating that you got it together and everyone else, they do not. And yet when he saw the light, things began to change. His hard heart was melted by the warmth of that light. He was blinded so he could see. And so they led Saul, blinded by the light, to a kind Christian servant named Ananias. You know, it's kind Christians who win people to Christ. It's not the mean kind. I hear an evangelist get up and preach, and they're mean about it. I don't think they win anybody. Do you think they do? You know, they look at you, you know, better repent or you know and then you'd feel like well getting out of the building not repenting necessarily 
You know, an evangelist in our culture that I really look up to is Mark Finley. I look up to Mark Finley because Mark Finley exudes the kindness of God in his preaching and teaching. I've watched people come through the doors of his facility down in Northern Virginia. He is kind to them in the door and out the door. He feeds them. An evangelist that is kind is an evangelist who has the equipment for winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul learned kindness from Ananias. Saul is the name for a king. The name Paul, you see, as soon as he was baptized, his name was changed to Paul. That became his signature name as the apostle to the Gentiles. So what does this name mean? It means in the Greek language, small or little. The little man becomes the greatest of all the apostles. The man who used to be an important Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, is named small and little, so he will never forget that what makes him great is not Saul, it is Jesus Christ, and so he is named Paul. Galatians 6.14, Paul had this to say about being little and letting Jesus be large. He said, But far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, I ask you the question, what do we glory in when we come to church? Do we glory in our church? Now look, this is a pretty building. It's getting better. We're working on it. We're going to make it look better. But you know what would really make this place look good? A lot of love in this place. Love is what makes it look good. Kindness. A love for each other and a love for the lost who can be found and saved. And I'm looking forward to that. I want to get the carpet dirty one day. I mean, I'm looking at this carpet here. We have here on this platform, you know how you can just pull this up? Didn't know that, did you? You ever see me do that? You know what's underneath here? Our baptistry. Yeah, it's aluminum right there. So one of these days we're going to pull that up, and we may get a little wet. But that's all right. Because people will be baptized into Christ right here. And you know, we're going to let you get out of your seats and come and stand around and sing as a person is baptized. Make it personal, like the early church did it. So far be it from any of us to glory in anything except the cross of Christ. That's what that baptistry represents. So the epistle of the Roman begins with Paul's name, which means small or little. You know, we live in proud times and proud people tend to rule the roost, don't they? The arrogant and the boastful create followers in our times. So what kind of credentials does Paul have here for the church of Rome? What does this little man stand for? And what is the platform that he stands on? What are his credentials that sets him apart as the great apostle to the Gentiles? Romans 1 verse 1 provides the three essential credentials for why this little man named Paul should be heard at all. First, number one. Paul shares his first credential when he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a servant of Christ? You can say amen to that, are you? Yeah, okay. Now that word servant in the Greek language is the word doulos. It means I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. The largest class in Roman society were slaves. At one time it was thought that 90% of Roman culture was made up of slaves. They had no rights. They could be easily sold or discarded. They always had to ask for permission to do anything. And most of the church of Rome was made up of slaves. And no doubt Paul wanted them all to know that he was a slave just like all of them. He leveled the playing field. And this little man named Paul made it clear that if you're a slave, if you're a nobody in the Roman Empire, he's right with you because he is a slave of Jesus Christ. 
And all the slave masters in the church took notice of the fact that the great apostle had turned himself into a slave. Paul's second credential being heard comes after the first. He says, I am called to be an apostle. Now, he didn't say, I am an apostle. He says, I'm called to be an apostle. He kind of leaves it open in the air. What will you do with that calling? Will you authenticate it by listening to what I have to say, or will you ignore it? When he says, I'm an apostle, the Greek word apostle means to send. It means the one who is sent. It means a messenger. Now, we have messengers today. We call them mailmen, don't we? Is that right? So Paul was called to be a mailman for God, for Jesus. That's what he was, a mailman. Great apostle means mailman. Not a senator, not a king or a queen, not a congressman or a policeman or a businessman, but a mailman, a messenger of Jesus Christ. So he's pretty clear here that the book of Romans is not his book. It's a letter. He's a mailman delivering God's message to the church. Now, we have a mailman that would come to our house quite often in the past. I've had dogs over the course of time. The first dog we had when we raised our boys, his name was Avalanche. Remember Avalanche? The Siberian husky that was part wolf. I don't talk about Avalanche because we had to put Avalanche down. He was old and cranky. There's hope for him in the resurrection, though. Psalms 36, 6 says, God saves man and beast. Avalanche can come back with a new nature, just like some of you can. Now, here's the point. That mailman would come to our house, and he was afraid of Avalanche. He was from Japan, and his accent was a good accent, because I love the accent of the Japanese people. But he would say it kind of fast, like, Avalanche. Everlunch is Everlunch here. And I would say, no. No, he says, good. He'd give me the mail and run. Get back in his car and drive off. I mean, it's not easy being a mailman. People go after you. And you know, Paul, he's very clear. He says, the dogs came after him. He says, those mutilators of the flesh, the circumcision party, they came after him. And what was he doing? He was simply being a mailman. He was not the message. He was the messenger proclaiming the truth of the gospel of God. And he got bit up by the dogs. So it's not easy being a messenger. Paul's third credential for being heard comes after he calls himself a slave and a mailman. He says, I am set apart for the gospel of God. The Greek word for set apart is aphorizo, and it shares the same consonants in Greek as the Hebrew word for pharisee. Aphoriz, pharisee. Aphorizo in Greek, pharisee in Hebrew. And the word in Hebrew comes from the verb pharos. You can hear the word pharisee in that. Paul is saying that I am a pharisee for the gospel of God. Now this word pharos means to set apart. A pharisee was one who was set apart for holiness, for the law. One who was set apart to keep the law perfectly. And Paul is saying, look, I started out as a pharisee, but I am now a pharisee For the gospel of God set apart for Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel of God. The Pharisees were known as religious teachers who were set apart for perfection and set apart for holiness. Now, holiness and perfection are important, but not the way they wanted them. And Paul used to be that kind of a Pharisee that talked a lot about himself, about how good he was getting, about how right he was, and about how perfect he was. And as he boasted in his holiness... As a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee. But when his name was changed from Saul to Paul, when he saw the light on the Damascus road, that little small man, Paul, was set apart for God. Set apart for Jesus. 
And you, know, you can't be set apart for the glory of God and worry about yourself too much. It has to be about the Lord. Paul never relinquished his claim to be a Pharisee. Some people say, well, he quit being a Pharisee. No, he did not. Paul is very clear. He kept on being a Pharisee. So what kind of Pharisee? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 23.6. Now, Paul was on trial before the high priest, and he began to defend himself. And notice what he says. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee. He didn't say I was a Pharisee. He says I am a Pharisee. A son of Pharisees with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. So it's very clear here. He said, I am a Pharisee. But what kind of Pharisee is here implied? Look at Romans 1.1. Paul proclaimed that he is a Pharisee or set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the Pharisees didn't like the gospel. In Acts 26, 5 and 6, Paul explains it a little clearer for us to understand what it means to be a Pharisee for the gospel of God and the hope of the resurrection. Verse 4 of Acts 26, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. And then he says in verse 5, They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a what? Notice the word strict. Have you ever been strict? Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of today's Reaching Your Heart entitled The Gospel of God. Make sure you join us again tomorrow when we complete this broadcast. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching yourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.